Hey, welcome to Access. John here. If you haven't already, be sure to download the free FBC Rungi Church app on iTunes or Google Play for sermons, announcements, and important updates regarding the church. Have you ever felt like you should be doing more as a follower of Jesus? This is the third part in a six-part series called Follow Me, where we're going to be talking about how there's really only one thing that we should be doing as we follow Christ, and it's more than enough to keep us busy. This message is entitled, Disciples Make Disciples. Imagine just for a second that somebody comes and puts a gun in your face and asks you the question, do you have any last words? What would you say? Uh, in preparing for this message this week, I, um, I had an opportunity to read a post about James W. Rogers, who was a man that was um, sentenced to death in the state of Utah in 1960 for killing uh, uh, an individual, and he was going to be executed by the firing squad. And so they asked him, do you have any last words? And he said, yeah, I'd like a bulletproof vest. <laughs> they didn't give it to him. They, they, they executed him. But it's just kind of funny. Like, like that's, that's pretty smart. What would your final words be if someone were to do something like that to you? You know, a lot of times I think we underestimate the power of words. Words are powerful because they have the ability to build somebody up or tear somebody down. Maybe you still carry the scars from something someone said to you years ago. For example, um, and I know this is silly, but um, I had a girlfriend that actually broke up with me because she said, quote, my ears are always dirty. I think about that every time I clean my ears, every single time. And yeah, it's kind of stupid, but it's always stuck with me for some reason. You know, maybe maybe it's not negative. Maybe it's something that's positive. For example, someone once told me that I had a gift when it came to speaking with students. And you know, I, I really keep that close to my chest every single time I talk to students. I think about that. Words are powerful. A person's final words, I think, mean even more. Because our final words speak to what's most important to us. They show us what is closest to our hearts, and they show other people what's close to our hearts. What means the most? My, um, my Uncle Floyd, before he died, he sensed that he was, what, that he was going to die soon. And so um, my dad, he and my dad were good fishing buddies. They were best friends. And so he tells my dad, you know, Rusty, over the years I've said a lot of mean and hurtful things to you. And I just want you to know that I meant every word of it. <laughs> they got a good laugh out of that. My dad still laughs about that, actually. Um, they just love spending time with each other, picking at each other. They're very much alike. They, they got each other's sense of humor. They were best friends. And from that statement, I can see that you know my Uncle Floyd, he, he valued his friendship with my dad. Queen Elizabeth I, arguably one of the most wealthy individuals in all of history, said these final words before she died. All of my possessions for a moment of time. See, when death came knocking at her door, she realized that all the possessions in the world aren't worth time. Time is the most precious commodity, which would should really cause us to rethink why we think possessions are so important. Ronald Reagan, during his farewell address to the nation, he said, My fellow Americans, this is the 34th time I speak to you from the Oval Office, and it will be the last. We've been together eight years now, and soon it'll be time for me to go. But before I do, I wanted to share some thoughts, some of which I've been saving for a long time. It's been the honor of my life to be your president. So many of you have written in the past few weeks to say thanks, but I could say as much to you. Nancy and I are grateful for the opportunity you gave us to serve. 
And one of the things about the presidency is that you're always somewhat apart. You spend a lot of time going by too fast in a car someone else is driving and seeing people through tinted glass, the parents holding up a child, and the wave you saw too late and couldn't return. And so many times I wanted to stop and reach out from behind the glass and connect. Well, maybe I can do a little bit of that tonight. People ask how I feel about leaving, and the fact is, parting is such sweet sorrow. You know, in his address, um, he goes on to say, um, God bless you, you know, and, and that he, he, he did a good job and that the nation did a good job. And, and you really, in his address, you begin to see just what it is that he really valued. He valued people. How about this one? Leonardo da Vinci, his final words were, I have, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality that it should have. Now, I just, I don't understand. How, how, did, how does a Mona Lisa or the Last Supper not meet a higher standard? I mean, how is that low quality? Da Vinci's final words show us that he supremely valued art and excellence. Jonathan Edwards, one of the most famous preachers of all time, he had final words too. He said, trust in God and you have nothing to fear. What was close to his heart? You know, um, I think we just go on and on all day long talking about people's final words. But what I want to do here is I just want us to see that words are powerful, but our last words are even more powerful because they are kind of like a summary of a person's life. They reflect the focus of our hearts. So what would your final words be? What would you try to make memorable? What would you try to get across to people as what you value most? Today, I want us to reflect on some of the greatest, the actually the greatest final words ever spoken. And I, I'm speaking, of course, about Jesus. Um, I want to read some of the last words that Jesus said to his disciples. Um, in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, this is what he says. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, if you've been at our church for a while or you've listened to several messages that I preached, you know that I preach this passage often. And I'm not going to make an apology for that. I believe that until this passage is accomplished, it needs to be at the forefront of our time together because discipleship is the mission of the church. Discipleship isn't a part of what the church does. It is what the church is. It is what the church does. It is what the church is called to do. The German theologian Diedrich Bonhoeffer once wrote, Christianity without discipleship is Christianity without Christ. I totally believe that. However, much of the time there seems to be a disconnect with the mainstream church and discipleship. Like we, we try to separate it into different categories. Evangelism and discipleship and, and, and baptism and, and the Lord's Supper and you know uh, all of those things, they, they, they can be separated. But the truth is, is that they can't. And discipleship isn't presented as something that every single believer should do. It's commonly presented as Christianity 2.0 and not Christianity 101. For, for many, discipleship is something that, that the advanced Christians do. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not into discipleship because I'm not really that advanced in Christianity. Um, and and I, I, you know, maybe I will be one day, but not right now. 
But if we're going to follow Christ, we need to know that disciples of Jesus make disciples and that every single follower of Jesus is a disciple or should be. Jesus could have said anything before he left this earth. He could have said, hey, make sure you tithe, honor God with your finances, and he will honor you. He could have said, make sure you memorize scripture. Make sure you store those words in your hearts so that you don't sin against God. He could, have, he could have said, you know, I want you guys to get along with each other while I'm gone. Try to hold down the fort. But he didn't say that. Now, when you get down to the heart of what Jesus was all about, what his final words were, you see that his earthly ministry was all about making disciples. He couldn't have made it any more clear. And he says it in three ways. He says, we're commanded to go. So we're commanded to evangelize. We're commanded to baptize new believers. And we're told to teach them what Jesus has taught us. All of this is involved in the process of discipleship. My prayer is that we actually get excited about doing it. We can't just talk about doing it or plan for it. We have to actually do it. And when you get to the end of your life, let me ask you a question. What do you believe judgment is going to be like? You know, we know that if we're in Christ, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. That's what Scripture tells us. But what kind of questions do you think God's going to ask? Because I can tell you, I don't believe that God is going to ask you how many times you went to a church service. I don't think he's going to want you to give an account for how many Bible verses you memorized and spout them off. I I would be very surprised if God even brought up how much money you put in the offering plate. Instead, I believe God is going to ask each and every single one of us, how many disciples did you make? How many disciples did you make? Why this question specifically? Jesus said a lot of things. Because making disciples was Jesus' final commands to his disciples. Like, this is the last lesson I'm going to be able to teach you. I better make it good. I better just allow it to reflect what is close to my heart. I'm telling you, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, I know that Jesus' actual last words were to wait for the Holy Spirit before leaving Jerusalem, but nobody can deny that discipleship was the core of Jesus' ministry. If you want to know what Jesus said, what, what Jesus meant when he said things, you have to watch what Jesus did. Matthew 28, 18-20, it sums up the whole reason why Jesus came to earth. So let me get out in front of this for just a second and ask you before God does. How many disciples have you made? How many disciples have you personally poured your life into? If we're not pouring our lives into other individuals, listen, we are wasting our lives because that is not what we are created for. We're created to make disciples. Now, if you disagree, would you agree with me that that's exactly what Jesus did? And Jesus is teaching us to follow him, to be like him, and do the things that he did. This is the final command that Jesus gives. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations. I don't believe for a second that anybody in our church is saying, no, thanks, Jesus, I'm good. I'm content where I am in my life. This discipleship thing isn't really for me. Because I believe every single follower of Jesus wants to please him and fulfill the Great Commission. We just run into these roadblocks. We run into these barriers, these hurdles that we have difficulty getting over to actually be good disciple makers, to be disciples that make disciples. But listen, discipleship doesn't just happen. We have to be intentional about making disciples. 
So how many disciples have you made? Are you being intentional in the command of making disciples? Are you being intentional about pouring your life into someone else? Every follower of Jesus wants to please the Lord. And I wouldn't dare to suggest that discipleship hasn't been taking place here. Because I know that's not true. I've personally witnessed it happening. I, I, I've seen several uh, uh, examples. I've heard several examples. You know, People are saying that they're having Bible studies at home with their children and with their friends at work. Taking somebody alongside them and, and, and explaining spiritual truths. But have you been intentional in making disciples? What I'm speaking to specifically today is are Christians that, that seem to think that wherever they are with the Lord, they're content, and they don't need discipleship. I once had an endodontist tell me that he was a Mormon, and so I began pressing him and questioning him about his faith. Why did he believe what he believed? Because I can tell you why I believe what I believe. I wanted him to explain to me why he believes what he believes. And he told me, you know, I'm content with what I know about God, and I, I don't have to understand all the greater mysteries of the universe. I'm just happy where I'm at. And I just thought to myself, well, that, that just shows me that you don't really know God. Because how can anybody who knows God say that? Followers of Jesus want to know him better. Followers of Jesus are disciples that make disciples. And I get it. Discipleship is scary. There are several hurdles that we encounter when it comes to making disciples. But I believe there's nothing these are nothing more than hurdles in the mind. What kind of hurdles? Well, things like when people say, that's not my calling. Listen, nothing can be further th from the truth. <laughs> not only did Jesus command us to go and make disciples, but all of Jesus' earthly ministry was about training men and women to train others. Jesus was addressing all of his disciples in the Great Commission, not just a select few, not just the professionals. Discipleship was never supposed to be a job that was just left to the pastors or the professionals. This is a job that everyone, every follower is commanded to do. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says to an audience of Christians in Hebrews 5, 11 through 12. He says, we have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you're slow to learn. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Why was he frustrated? Because they should have been in a process of, of, of discipling others. They had been there long enough that they should be discipling others, not be discipled themselves. And he says, okay, well, this is where we're at. We're going to have to start over. Fine. Well, I'm frustrated about it, I'll be honest with you, but fine. Let's start over. You and I are to become disciples so that, so that we can help disciple others. Disciples make disciples. It is your calling. If nobody told you that, I'm sorry. Shame on them. They should have. You are called to make disciples. It is your calling. Which is why our mission statement here is for everyone to take root in the Lord, to grow in relationships with God and with others, and to bear fruit by making disciples. Jesus said in, in, in John 15 too, he says, The Father cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does not bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. It is your calling. Because it's the calling of every single disciple of Jesus Christ. If you are in Christ, you must bear fruit. If you love Christ, you will bear fruit. 
So don't say, oh, it's not my calling, because it is. Another thing we, we like to say is, well, I just, just to be honest, I'm so busy. I don't have time. I don't have time for that. Well, the effective discipleship, listen, it will most likely require you to change your schedule around. Discipleship does not accidentally happen. If it's going to happen, we have to be intentional about it. I know I don't follow you around with uh, with a notepad and pen and monitor how you spend your time. Oh, oh, you, you took too long in the bathroom. You know, I can I can guarantee you that there is something in your life. There is something in your life that is meaningless and distracting. Something that could be cut out. And you might miss it, but it's not really that important. And I only say that because I have things in my life that are like that. And God lays that on my heart. You need to get rid of this. You need to change things around. You need to, you need to make adjustments. Because what you're doing is not that important. You could be doing something more important with your time. I don't have time. Well, you have to make it. How do you make it? By cutting other things out. Effective discipleship, it requires sacrifice. Isn't it ironic that the one thing that Christ commanded us to do, the very thing that we were in fact created for, we somehow don't have time to do? Isn't that ironic? Now, I get it. Discipline, discipling somebody, it will take a substantial amount of time. It takes discipline to be a disciple. And it's going to take a lot of time. But that just means that you and I are going to have to stop doing something that isn't that important and commit to making disciples because it is that important. If it wasn't that important, Jesus wouldn't have commanded us to do it. What are are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to, to, to give up in your life so that time and energy can be devoted to making disciples? Maybe a better question would be to ask, what are you unwilling to sacrifice? Because maybe it's something that you shouldn't sacrifice, but maybe you need to take that to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm not willing to sacrifice this. What's what's wrong with me? Help me. Another thing that we we like to do, and this isn't a statement that we make, it's kind of more of an observation. Um, It's incredibly difficult to teach others what we really don't believe ourselves, what we're not really committed to believe ourselves. It's really hard to discipline someone else to believe that we are saved by grace, for example, whenever we feel like God has turned his back on us because of our sin. Let me tell you something. This is how you feel you need to understand something paramount. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that any man may boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. If you are in Christ... You don't ever have to feel like God has turned his back on you again because he hasn't and he won't. You are saved by grace. But let's also address something important that will help you tremendously if you will just apply it to your life. If there is a sin in your life that you feel God has abandoned you because of, it isn't because God's abandoned you. It's because you're trying to keep your sin hidden instead of exposing it. One of the very first lessons that Jesus taught me as a follower was to learn how to live in the light. I'm still learning, but he taught me how to expose my sin. He laid it on my heart that I needed to write a letter confessing the sins that I was trying to hide from people. And he led me to read it right in front of my entire church. 
And you might be thinking, I could never do that. You know what? Maybe God's not leading you to do that. But I can tell you this with certainty. Until you confess your sins to another believer, until you learn to live with transparency, that sin will continue to dominate your life. 1 John 1.7 says, But if we're living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. It's not a magic spell that you must, you know, God mysteriously cleans up your life when we say our sins out loud. Sure, he takes our, our sin away from us eternally through Christ. But while we're here and we're open with other people, we confess when we confess, when we live transparent lives. We turn over our sin because it's embarrassing when we don't. I'm not going to do this anymore because people know about it. I'm living in the light as Christ is in the light. Another thing we like to say, and I'd say probably this is one of the most common obstacles that people come and run into, is I, I want to be a disciple maker, but I just don't know where to start. I, I can certainly relate to this. Nobody sat down necessarily and mentored me in a structured way. But I think we first need to understand that it's not our place to mature others in discipleship. There's nothing that we can teach to move someone into spiritual maturity. There's nothing that we can say. We can't be in the right place at the right time and say the right thing. It's not the way it works. Sure, people we disciple might grow in maturity. That's our hope. That's our prayer. But it's not because we have all the answers that we were in the right place at the right, right time and said the right thing. It's simply because God is the one who does the work in people. And our ability to make disciples ends with our obedience to the Lord. We don't have to say the right thing or be in the right place. All we have to do is commit to obey the Lord and let him put us in the right place at the right time. Listen, acquiring knowledge is meaningless when it doesn't move from the head to the heart. So you could teach somebody all day long about the the higher truths of the Bible and the higher truths of God. But if God isn't honoring that and God isn't, isn't doing the work, they won't mature, they won't grow. We put way, way, way too much emphasis on what we're going to teach and where we're going to teach it and how we're going to teach it and who's going to teach it, that it hinders us from seeing that God is the one that does the work. We just need to be obedient. God is the one who makes the difference. He's the one that helps us grow. So instead of thinking you need to control everything that is out of your control and so you don't start, maybe you should just lift others up in prayer. Lift yourself up in prayer. Say, God, I want to be obedient. I want to do what you want me to do. And I want to make disciples. So God, would you show me how to do that? I'm going to be here at this place because I feel like this is where you're leading me. And I don't know if anybody's going to come. I don't know if this person's going to come and meet with me. But God, I'm here and I'm ready. And I want want to talk to other people about you because you've done incredible things in my life. And I just want to share. God, will will you use me? God, will you help that person to mature? I heard somebody say this week, that um, people that you disciple, you need to be praying for them more than you're actually talking to them. That's a powerful statement. That is so true. God is the one that does the work. And, And keeping this in mind, I really think that we need to ask ourselves a very important question when it comes to discipleship. Because we might not know where we are or where to start. Well, ask yourself this question. Do I believe I'm strong in my faith? Or do I believe that I'm weak in my faith? 
Now, if you don't know the answer to that question, I would just challenge you to ask somebody close to you whom you trust. You know, they, they can be honest with you. You know, you, you know they're going to be honest, and so you go and ask them. Ask them. There's no room for false humility here. Would you consider yourself to be a seasoned believer? Or would you consider yourself to be more of an infant? If that, if wherever you are, if you, you know, you need to be honest with yourself. And if it's an infant, it's okay to be an infant. It's not okay to stay an infant. Are you, are you strong or are you weak? Both answers require action. I, I, another thing we say is I'm not a new believer, so I don't need discipleship anymore. But listen, discipleship is not just for new believers. Discipleship is a lifetime endeavor. If you're not new to the faith, then it's time to start leading someone who is. You may think, well, I couldn't do that. I'm not that strong. Well, then it's simple. You either are weak and you need to be with someone who is strong, or you are strong and you need to be with someone who is weak. If you're weak, fine. Get with somebody strong. If you're, if you're strong, then good. Get with somebody weak. That's the way it works. Everyone is supposed to be making disciples. Everyone is supposed to be discipled. There isn't just one way to make disciples either. I mean, like that's I think that's one of the hang-ups is, uh, is, is we think, you know, I, I'm not very good at doing it that specific way. Well, listen, not everybody loves to read. Not everybody loves a structured setting. Some people love to, to read from a book together. Some people like to listen. Some people respond better from a conversation. Some people respond better to service, actively getting out and serving. Some people like a structured setting. Some people are more comfortable in a living room. Those of you who are strong in the faith could easily open up your homes for a Bible study and invite others to attend. There is nobody in this church that's going to stop you from opening up your home to a Bible study and inviting other people to it. It doesn't always need to be on a one-on-one basis. I think a one-on-one basis is excellent. Uh, I, I think that's probably the best way to really get to know somebody is to be a, in a in a room alone with somebody. Now, I, I would encourage you to, if you're a man, to, to 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 disciple a man and a woman to disciple a woman. If you're married, if you're a married man, you don't need to be with a woman. If you're a married woman, you don't need to be with a man. You need to be with other married women, people who are seasoned or, and can help you, not somebody that's going to get you into trouble. Okay, so just think about it. If you're strong in the faith, why not get out there and and get with somebody that's weak in the faith? Disciple them. Those of you who are strong in the faith, you could open up a Bible study. Paul says in Romans 15:1, he says, we, we who are strong ought to bear with those who are weak and not to please ourselves. I believe Paul is saying, listen, if you're strong, don't be selfish. You didn't get there by yourself. If you're strong, great. Build others up for their good. He goes on to say in Romans 15, 14, he says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. You might say, oh, I could never do that. Yes, you could. And yes, you can. And if you're a follower of Jesus, yes, you will. Listen, there will always be a million reasons why you and I can't make disciples. Well, I don't have time. Well, I don't know enough, or I don't want to mess other people up, and isn't that my pastor's job? Listen, on on that last one, I just want you to know, I I hope you know that your pastor is doing everything that he can do, and, and it's barely making a dent. 
if every one of us would take this calling seriously, I believe that we could make a huge impact on Rungi. You're not a person that says, no thanks, that's not for me, are you? I mean, surely you're not, right? Remember, Christianity without discipleship is Christianity without Christ. If it wasn't important, Jesus wouldn't have commanded us to do it. Listen, there will come a day when you will no longer have the ability to make disciples. Your time on this earth will be over. And I know that we rest in grace and that God gives us grace when we, when we fail Him, but do you really want to go and stand before God and have Him ask you the question, how many disciples do you, did you make? And you respond with, well, I guess I just never really made it a priority. I know God's going to give you grace, but man, really? Do you really want to stand before God with that kind of answer? It's simple. Are you strong or are you weak? Are you seasoned? Or will you feel like you need to get with somebody who's seasoned? Tonight at 6, uh, Sunday night, 6 o'clock, 6 p.m. at the church, we have a Disciple Maker program. If you feel like you're weak in the faith, then come and commit to this program to be built up. But you need to understand that if you're weak in the faith, where we're going to be leading you, where Christ is leading you, is to disciple somebody else. So if you're weak, okay, let's get strong together. Start building other people up because that's what it means to make disciples. Whether you're weak or you're strong, you should come. If you prefer more of a group setting than Thursday nights, we have a 7 p.m. Bible study. We've been studying the book of Romans. We're going to wrap that up this week. Um, we're going to conclude the book of Romans, and I've asked the ladies if they will... Um, uh, lead a different Bible study on a different book of the Bible, and I'm going to walk back through Romans with a different group. If you feel like you're weak, then come. If you feel like you're strong, then, then feel free to start a Bible study in your home. Or maybe if you're weak, maybe you would consider just opening up a Bible study in your home and letting somebody else come in and lead it. Maybe you would consider that. Are you being discipled? Because if not, and you're weak, you need to be discipled. But if you know what, you say, I'm a seasoned Christian and I'm not being discipled, then you need to be discipling somebody else. Somebody else who is weak. Because that's what Christ has commanded us to do. If you don't believe that you're ready for that, then, then just commit. Commit to be discipled. Don't, don't sit in a pew and listen to a good sermon. I'm not here to preach a feel-good sermon for everyone. I'm not here to preach to a bunch of Christians every single week that, that just want to hear a good sermon and listen to good music and enjoy fellowship with each other. Listen, all that's great. But if that's all we do, then we're just a social club and I don't have any desire to be a part of that. I'm a disciple of Christ and disciples make disciples. Do not be afraid to make disciples. Do not be afraid. Overcome these barriers in your mind. Stop making excuses. If you're making excuses, quit. If you're, if you're discipling someone, great, keep it up. Make sure you impress on them the importance of, of making disciples themselves. That that's, where the, that's where this thing is leading. That's where we're going. Do not be afraid because you don't think that you know enough. 
or that you're not smart enough or you've not been in church long enough. If you're, if, if, you're, if you're weak, get with somebody strong. If you're strong, get with somebody weak. I dare you. Christ commands us to. But don't be afraid. Listen, I know it's scary. Don't be afraid. If you really believe that this is something that Jesus is calling us each to do as I do, then you also will know that Jesus ended the best way that he possibly could. He said, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. You're not going to be doing this by yourself. I want you to jump out there and be obedient. Jesus says, I want you to jump out there, be obedient, and I'm going to be with you. I know it's scary, but don't be afraid. I'm with you, and we're going to do this together. Jesus is calling us to follow him. Follow him where? (laughs) We're to follow Jesus doing what Jesus does. We are to be disciples who make other disciples. Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that the Lord blessed you through this message and that he spoke to you and that you have a clear direction for your life. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. And if you have any questions or comments about today's message, please feel free to email us at fbcrungi at gmail.com. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.